Today's Old Testament reading can be found on 1489 of the Church Bibles. It's from Malachi, chapter 2, verse 17, to chapter 3, verse 2, which sounds a lot, but it's not, thankfully. And then we go to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The Day of Judgment. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then, suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the convent, sorry, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can enjoy the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For will he be like the refiner's fire or the launderer's soap? And then we go to chapter 4. The day of the Lord. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that the day is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with the healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the storm. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. When I agreed to come here to help out, I was told that I had to preach from a book. And it was all about the covenant. And I was being so blessed by doing that, but by being given the discipline to read some stuff that I hadn't read for quite a while, or I hadn't read at all in the past. It's been good. The covenant, this is our last talk on the covenant. We're, next week, um, Jesus is coming. So. <laughs> Get ready. The covenant is a relational covenant. We can be sure of God's promises. The weakness of the covenant between us and God cannot be God. God tells us, like he told Joshua, to be strong and courageous, to do everything written in the law, then you will be prosperous and successful. The covenant assures us that God will be with us. Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These words ring out from God to his people. Don't worry, I will be with you. To David especially, he talked about a special name, a special place, peace, and rest, which when we think about all those 
promises through David, we can uh, really be thankful to God. David wrote, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The God who wants a relationship with us, he is the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, of the universe, of all the billions of stars. He cares for us. When we cry to him in trouble, he brings us out of our distress. We need not be afraid, for he is with us. He who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. These are all things that David wrote, by the way, just in case you got lost a wee bit there. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. What wonderful promises God gives us. And God is not to blame for any difficulties in the relationship. The prophet Jeremiah, the message from God, you have brought harm to yourselves. I have tried so hard, and yet you have turned from me and brought harm to yourselves. Our God, as Exodus tells us, is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is the message from God, I have loved you. And the people that Malachi was speaking to said, how have you loved us? How angry God must have been. The people still blame God for most of their ills. The people had consistently failed to be committed to God, to trust him above all else. In Malachi chapter 1, God says to them, you have sacrificed blind animals, lame and diseased animals. You have shown no respect to me. You have shown me contempt. In chapter 1, God says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offering from your hands. Above all else, we should make sure that God isn't saying that to us. In the reading this morning, it says, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. When Jesus came to the temple, he judged the people in the temple. They had turned that place into a den of thieves. They were not doing God's work. They were pretending that they were God's people. And God's message to them was, And now you priests, I will send a curse on you. I will curse your blessings. The lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth, but you have caused many to stumble. 
I'm a priest. I talk about God's message. And he's saying to me, be very careful. These lovely people of mine, you don't want to lead them astray to cause them to stumble. When I was a young man and began leadership in St. Thomas's Church in Edinburgh, I was struck by a verse from Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. God is saying to us, be very careful. You know the way to eternal life. Do not withhold it by improper words or improper conduct. In Malachi's time, some of God's people had forsaken God by marrying foreign women, committing adultery and idolatry. For material gain, they had spurned God's love. They had turned to the idols of the people who could give them material gain. In Malachi chapter 3, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. And God is saying, he is the one who will explain again because God had gone on again and again to them, trying to get them to change. God says, I do not change. Return to me and I will return to you. God wants us to be totally committed. In Malachi, it says the sacrifices of the people were an abomination to God, giving God the least of what they had, the blind animals, the lame animals. The people had failed to honor the tithe. And in chapter 3, God says to them, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God was saying to them, you have fallen short. You need to test me out, try me, and see if I will not shower blessing. I love the version of that that says, the portals of heaven will be opened, and so much blessing will come down upon us. But the people had failed the test. Lack of commitment had deprived them of the generous blessing of their God. I'm not going to be preaching about the tithe this morning. But let me tell you, I'm sure you've heard of Rick Warren, who wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. I heard him speak one day, and he said to us, 
All the earnings I get from the book, The Purpose Driven Life, and he's sold millions and millions of them, I give God 90% and keep 10% for myself. God doesn't want us to be 10% committed. In a way, Rick was saying he was giving God 100%, but there was 10% that could be used uh, by him for God's work, as is our 10% when we give it to the church. The manager of a football team wants full commitment. Anyone offering 10% or less will not be part of the team and will miss out on any triumph. We need to be all in. That book that I mentioned that we've been following for the sermon series, whole life, whole Bible. God wants to be involved in the wholeness of our life, all of it. I read a book uh, a couple of years ago by a chap called Mark Batterson, and the book's called All In. And he was challenging, a very challenging book. He's saying that we should be all in with God. The gospel costs nothing, but it demands everything. It's all or nothing. You are one decision away from a totally different life. When we gave our life knowing that Jesus had given his life for us, we need to give it all. When I enlisted in the Royal Navy, they insisted on 100% of my time. I was allowed some leave, but it needed to be granted to me by them. The nature of service in the armed forces is that volunteers need to sacrifice their freedom to a higher purpose. Next week, we will remember the sacrifice of many who gave 100% in the cause of the fight against evil. And the time may be coming soon when similar sacrifices have to be made. Our love for God compels us to lay down our lives for him. God had a special relationship with Abraham. The commitment of Abraham was tested ten times. On Mount Moriah came the ultimate test. Did Abraham put the life of his son Isaac before God? No, he was prepared to offer his son as a sacrifice to God. And in a wonderful way, God provided. He stayed the knife from plunging into the body of Isaac. He provided an alternative sacrifice, a wonderful foretaste of how God would provide for his people. What are our, what are our life's priorities? One or two of you might know a book called By Searching by Isabel Kuhn. I read it many, many years ago. 
In that book, one by one, Isabel identified possible weaknesses in her commitment. She identified them and took them out of her life. One by one, the things that were coming between her and God were removed. She was greatly blessed in her life as a missionary to China. What God wants from us in any relationship is that we should love him in a totally committed way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Notice the important word there, all. We need to be all in. We need to love with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And tacked on there was love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. And that's important to God, as we'll see. Loving God does not allow us to shortchange him in our commitment to him. The people were saying, who, me, who, us? We are your people. And they were hearing God condemn them. How have we wearied him? How have we not loved him? They were so sure of themselves. They knew that the day was coming that was promised, which was called the day of the Lord. And they saw that as a day of vindication of them. God has much to say to the self-righteous people who see the day of the Lord as a day of justification for their lives. There's quite a lot in Amos about that. I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. The leaders and their wives were warned by Amos, hear the word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord, because you have done wrong. The poor have been crushed. The needy have been ignored. And God was so upset with his people, as often he is throughout the Old Testament. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. The offering that God wants from us is everything, our whole life. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. Yes, we do have security, but it shouldn't stop us from giving our whole lives to God it should stop us from being arrogant and self-centered. Throughout the Old Testament, God condemns those who afflict the poor and needy. 
I've been to a church near Chicago for many years, uh, around August time, and I've made many friends there. And a few years ago, they uh, asked people to support the building of a new care center. It was going to cost millions. The hope that was that that care center would provide dignity, hope, and transformation for the needy. They built the care center. It, they needed millions. I can't remember exactly how much. It was something like $10 million. And would you believe it, they had collected enough money to pay for that care center before they began building it. Now, that's unusual <laughs> in church ways. And if you look at up in, uh, online today, you'll see that that care center provides a care team with advice, a clothing store, a dental clinic, a, a vision clinic, a food store. The food store is wonderful. It's like a supermarket and you go and you put things in your basket and then at the end you don't have to pay for it. Wonderful, wonderful food store. But you have to be really needy to be allowed to use it. They offer legal aid. They offer a car ministry. They encourage people in their congregation who are changing their cars, not to trade them in, but give them the old car so that some needy person who really needs a car can have it. These are some of the things that that we should be thinking of doing as followers of Christ. And I'm sure as a congregation you are involved in caring for people. But it's not an option. God says, you must love me and you must love your neighbor as yourself. The day of the Lord that was so uh, wrongly looked forward to by the people in Amos and uh, Malachi is a day of judgment. <clears throat> on that day, we are reliant not on ourselves and vaunted images of our worthiness, but on God's promises and the worthiness of his Lamb. Though guilty we shall be washed clean in the blood of our Savior. But it's a day of judgment. It's a day of us thinking, oh, that we hadn't done that. But God graciously lifts us up and says, come. God provides for those whom he loves, those that trust in him. the day of the Lord. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I will bring my people Israel back from exile. The covenant is a promise from God and he keeps his promise. His love is unfailing, and we can trust in that. 
we can trust, as Isaiah tells us, the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. Your Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. We get things wrong, and we deserve to be punished. We deserve the consequences of the things that we get wrong. But God lifts us out of that. He gives us hope for the future. A real hope and real knowledge that his love is real and we can depend on it. For those who fear God's name, however, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and his people will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. That's a lovely ending to our reading this morning. The people will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. In this life, as we go through it, we are restricted but one day we will be released into the wonderful freedom that God has for us. And we will jump like calves. We will leap like that lame man in the gospel. So whereas we have been cooped up and locked down, we're going to go skipping with joy when God opens the stall through Christ to set us free.